Hi friends, welcome to today's episode of the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You're so welcome whether you're here for the first time or you've been here from the very beginning. If you are here for the first time, then why not subscribe and that way you'll never miss another single episode. That way you can join me on this journey through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You might even consider going back to the very beginning and working through the whole Bible project from Genesis to Revelation, beginning at the the first episode. Just do it at the pace that suits you. Today we're going back into the New Testament, we're partway through the Gospel of Luke, and today's episode's got the rather cryptic title of Understanding the Law of the Universe. So I hope you'll find it helpful, and I'll see you at the end after the main podcast. Goodbye for now. Hi friends. Hi there. Hi everyone. Today we're going to be covering the text Luke 6, 37 to 38. And uh, we're going to consider what I'm calling this principle, this law of the universe. Now, anywhere you go, choose to go on the planet, you will know that the laws apply, the laws of that particular place apply. But what I'm talking today is something bigger than any earthly law. It's an overarching principle that affects all of humanity. It's not a local law, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than the law of any country. It's a principle bigger even than the laws established by organizations like the United Nations. It's bigger than all of that. I would actually describe it as an underlying principle, an embodiment of the law of the universe. But unlike most laws in human terms, this one is a little different. You see, most laws only look at one side of the coin. They have a consequence if you don't keep the law, and there's a penalty if you break it. And often that penalty means that some type of penalty in terms of financial or your freedom has to be paid. Well, this law, yeah, in a sense it has a penalty, but it's different to earthly laws in the sense that there's also a reward uh, if you keep it, and that's different. We normally don't think of laws of that way today. So what law am I talking about? Well, it's simply the universal law which is described, I think an apt way of describing it in the Bible is one to find the principle of sowing and reaping. Now that way of describing the underlying principles of the law of God, the law of the universe, is mentioned throughout the Bible. And as we study the Bible together, we're going to bump into this principle over and over again. It's revealed in Scripture across multiple passages and across and is revealed as applying in multiple areas of our life. But there is helpfully for us this one passage where the Lord himself talks about this law of sowing and reaping, and then there's a detailed discussion of it, and it mentions several areas in which it can apply in our lives, all crammed into just a couple of verses. It gives more background, I think, than any other passage in the Scripture about this principle, So today, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6, and let's look at this universal law of sowing and reaping. And I'll begin by reading the couple of verses we're going to cover today together. That's Luke 6, 37 and 38, where we are told, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. 
Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Given, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, it doesn't take much to figure out that there are two verses here. Uh, that Sorry, that within these two verses there are four commands. We're simply told, do not judge, do not condemn, we're told to forgive others, and we're told to give. Now you might notice right away that two of these principles are negative and the second two are positive. So we're going to look at the four applications of this law, as I've called it, the law of sowing and reaping. <coughs> And as we go along, I'm going to mention the areas of our lives where these laws apply, as well as quickly referring to other places in Scripture where it's also talked about. So let's begin with the first one, which tells us do not judge. Now, the first thing that popped into my head, and I'm sure may of yours, is, well, does that mean that the Bible's teaching that all types of judgment are forbidden? You see, there are passages of Scripture that actually command us to judge or to make a judgment. Uh, let me mention a couple of these situations. We're told that we should judge false doctrine, aren't we? We're told to test the spirits. That's the phrase that John uses in 1 John to describe that process. I think there are passages where we should also judge the reality of whether our own actions are sinful and even the seriousness of the sins of others. We are to weigh up the actions of a person and determine whether or not the person themselves has done something sinful and decide, in other words, decide whether the action we see, the thing we see, is in line with Scripture or not. We also know that there's a doctrine in the Bible of church and community discipline. In fact, Paul is seen to chide one church for actually choosing not to discipline someone. So there are certain circumstances where it seems we're even to judge a person's conduct. Let me give you another example. In 2 Corinthians it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That, of course, would mean we'd have to make a judgment about whether someone else is a believer or not in order to help us ensure we don't get tied up emotionally or even business-wise with such a person. So there are examples where the scriptures command us to judge a situation. So what's the difference between not being called not to judge in this passage and the other passages where we're told to express a judgment? Well, one thing I think very clearly is the context in which this passage sits. I think the point, friends, is simply this. This is not talking about having a critical fault-finding spirit. That's not allowed. That's the sort of person that judges everything, most of which time that judgment or the expression of that judgment even isn't appropriate. They, he or she may not know the facts, and more importantly, they're probably not the one that is called to make that judgment in the first place. And because of their acting in that way, they're not judging according to the scriptures. They're judging, yes, but they're doing it inappropriately. That's not a biblical type of judgment. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus is specifically saying here we're not to do. One of the most common and destructive sins among believers 
and in churches is people jumping to conclusion and making judgment about other people. Often, we don't know all the facts, we don't know the motives, we don't know the circumstances of their life. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, simply don't do that. Don't make those types of judgments. You've not been called to make them anyway. Perhaps on occasion, a leadership team or a pastor might be, but generally you are not called to make the judgment. And if you do, well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be judged back in exactly the same way. Now, obviously, there are examples of the laws of of sowing and reaping that says as you are sowing and judging inappropriately, you may very well reap yourself. So if a per- now, the way I would practically apply this, if a person, if you think about it, if you're judging someone critically in that way, if that person happened to know about what you said or thought about them behind their back, they would probably get upset about what about that, wouldn't they? So if you go around judging people in that way, it's very likely on a real level, if they know about it, they're going to judge you right back. Or on a, in the spiritual realm, there's going to be an element of that happening anyway. And that is the law of sowing and reaping in that area. Moving on to the second command here in the sort section we're looking at today. The second command he gave was do not condemn. Now again, we're back again where we started. It, when we, we sometimes we are called to judge, and sometimes we are called to make a decision, which means finding someone guilty in a sense. And there's an a, an element of co- condemnation there that is appropriate. But this is referring to, and is only referring for its use within a judicial system or its equivalent in society today. Obviously, this was established in the Old Testament law of Moses, but let's suppose in this day and age you are called for jury service and you have to sit and the evidence is presented. And obviously, from that evidence, you are able to see that that person was clearly guilty beyond all reasonable doubt. And if you're sitting in that jury room because you've been called in that properly constituted way, it is entirely appropriate for you to 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 declare that person guilty, thereby condemning that person on the basis and only on the basis of their guilt before the law. So this is not what Jesus is talking about here. What it means is if you're the sort of person who goes around condemning people, going around saying people are guilty, or even by nature just simply shaking your finger, wagging your finger at them, pointing at them, declaring them to be that way, then you're doing this very thing that Jesus says we are not to do. Instead, it actually says we are called to be merciful always, just as our Father is merciful. So the point is you ought to be living a loving life. You ought to be showing mercy, but it doesn't mean that you're meant to overlook sin. It simply means that the characteristic, the overarching principle of your life is that you should be a loving and merciful forgiving person because the truth of the matter is of course at the end of the day God is the one who judges so you don't need to be doing his job now he does allow within limited areas in society where God has handed authority over to civic society 
And in this way, that's the way the principle was established in the Old Testament. We've been through that as we went through Exodus and Leviticus together. But that's not the same thing as allowing us as individuals to find fault with other individuals. In other words, we're not to go around judging and condemning individual people. The law of, of sowing and reaping is applied in the Bible to all areas of sin. Uh, in the sense that if you sin, then there is a sense in which you will reap the fruit of that sin. As a matter of fact, the book of Job in chapter 4 said, Even I have seen those who plough iniquity and sow tr trouble in trouble reap the same. That's a powerful picture, isn't it? So if you sow iniquity into your life and into the world around you, you will reap the same thing. If you sow trouble, trouble will come back to you. Proverbs 22, verse 8 says explicitly, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. So those who sow the seeds of wickedness in life in this way are going to reap a harvest and a harvest of sorrow. Again, the principle of sowing and reaping. That expression, those who live by the sword and die by the sword, is the same thing. It's the same principle, the same universal law, that of reaping what we sow. Now that's the two negative things. Let's look at the two positive things that it says in verse 37 and 38. And the first of these, it says, forgive and it will be forgiven. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says a similar thing. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. So how did God forgive you? Let me remind you, unconditionally, freely, and totally. And that's the way you're supposed to forgive others. What Jesus is saying here is if you are forgiven, if you forgive, you too will be forgiven. Now that may strike you as odd because some might say, well, that implies that if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Is forgiving uh, also a requirement of you being forgiven before God? That's not what we really believe, is it? So how do we explain this verse? Well, this this problem that we see in this verse also crops up in other passages of Scripture as well. And the answer is quite simple, friends, when you understand there are two types of forgiveness. There's the judicial forgiveness of God and there's the parental forgiveness of God. Now, when you trust Christ, you are forgiven of all your sins judicially. This is God acting as the judge, and he looks at the payment of Christ on the cross for your sins that you have applied into your life, and he says you are forgiven legally, judicially, on the basis of what my son Jesus Christ did. And at that point, you have become a child of God, and God has become your father, and you now also have access to the parental forgiveness of God. So after that, yes, you can fall out of favor. Yes, you can get into trouble. Yes, you can even displease him, maybe even make him angry. But the answer is to all these situations is yes, God will still forgive you because parental forgiveness of a loving father to his child is always available. Like in John 1, 9, it tells us very clearly, simply if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. God the judge forgave you judicially at the point you accepted his son Jesus. You've forgiven and nothing can change that legal 
position of being guilty and being before a holy God, but being forgiven for the sins of your life. Nothing can change that. Nothing will rob you of the benefit of that, which is life eternal in heaven. But this parental forgiveness, that will now be available to you along the way as you live your life thereafter. You get into trouble because uh, you've fallen short. Maybe even God is displeased with you. But when you confess, you can always absolutely guaranteed experience the parental forgiveness of him saying, you're forgiven. You're my beloved child after all. Okay, pulling these passages together. I concluded some years ago that the Bible is teaching very simply this, that if you live a loving life, if you live a merciful life, if you are a forgiving person as part of your character because you recognize that God has forgiven you, that when you stand before this thing called the judgment seat of Christ, that as John tells us, love will cast out all fear. Now remember, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ here, not the great white throne judgment for non-believers. The judgment seat of Christ is the place where you can stand before God and if you've lived a loving life, you have nothing to fear at that place and you will receive the rewards that you uh, uh, that have been set for you because of the way you've lived your life. And mercy always triumphs over judgment. And simply, if you're not in that place, yes, you've been judicially forgiven, but uh, and but because you've not taken advantage of God's parental forgiveness, then simply at the judgment seat of Christ, it means you're not going to gain or be given the rewards uh, that you might have because they're not rewards that you deserve to receive because of the way you've chosen to live your redeemed life. So I think this still has to be taken seriously. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Show mercy and you will experience mercy. Live a loving life and you will be loved by people, other people in this life as well as the Lord eternally. And again, we're back to the principle of sowing and reaping. This is a biblical truth eloquently stated here in these couple of verses where Jesus speaks and when he talks about that which you give it will be given to you and what's going to be given to you he has this picture of it being given in good measure and literally overflowing into your lap that's the point of these couple of verses for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you that's the law of sowing and reaping the law of the harvest if you like what I've called today the law of the universe. In this sense, because this principle applies to everyone who walks in this planet. Some might call it simply the law of cause and effect. And that's what it is. But it is a principle that applies to everyone in the world, whether they know it or not. Now, I'm going to have one more little caveat added to this, something that I'm a bit reticent to talk about because of what some t TV preachers have said about this. It makes me almost uncomfortable talking about it, but it is about making an investment. It's talking about when you do these things, it's framing it within the idea of an investment. And, and when you invest something, the idea is that you get more back, isn't it? Now, I know I'm uncomfortable about saying this in this way because of what some Bible teachers have done with this. This is the one of the few things that I really don't major on, not because it's not true, but because somewhat how some Christians so overreach in this principle uh, 
and stretch beyond credibility what the Bible says about this. But Paul, when he talks about this issue in Corinthians, applies the idea of sowing spiritually and in the context he's talking about applying it in the ministry of the word. So Paul says, if you're doing this spiritually, you're going to reap. But here's interestingly, he says you're going to reap materially. And if you're in the ministry that of the word, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, it says, if we have sown spiritual things to you, it is a great thing that we reap for you material things. We are ministering to you spiritually, so is it wrong that we receive material things? So let me go to the next level. Another passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul teaches that if you sow materially, you also reap materially. We can't get away from that. He says, I say then, he who reaps sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, but for God because God loves a cheerful giver. So giving here in all aspects, spiritually and physically, is compared and, uh, with the, give, the sowing of seeds. And he's talking about if a farmer only plants a few seeds, then obviously the harvest will be there, but it will be a small crop. And on the other hand, if he sows a great deal of seed, he will re uh, reap an abundant crop. And this is the law of harvest. This is the law of sowing and reaping the law of the universe. But listen to the next verse in Corinthians. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have sufficiency in all good things and may have an abundance for every good work. Paul here, I believe, is arguing that he, he God can always give you more back in return so that you can carry on and continue to perform other good works. In other words, God can see to it that the generous giver will always have their needs met and resources given and left over for their participation in all other good works before the Lord. So Paul assumes that the liberal, cheerful giver will always, always have something to give. Giving should be their natural state. Do you want to dig deeper in your study of Reformed theology? The All of Life for God podcast, presented by Reformation Heritage Books, offers you weekly sermons, audiobook chapters, and interviews that will help strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So what are you waiting for? Just search All of Life for God wherever you get your podcast and start listening today. Presented by Reformation Heritage Books. And here's the strange thing, giving in the natural should lessen one's storehouse, shouldn't it? But Paul is saying, not in this case, giving increases our storehouse. Now the Bible is saying that this is a way of increasing your storehouse, is to give. Because in giving, in sowing, you're investing, you're not just handing over or giving away. Are you with me so far? It's an important principle. You sow spiritually and you reap material resources, but only in the sense that you are able to carry on investing in the work of the, of the Lord. You sow materially, you will meet materially as well, but only in the sense that, it, that you will always have the resources 
available to you to do the Lord's work. Now, it's going to get really interesting because in Galatians chapter 6, it also says, so materially and you reap spiritually. It's the exact reverse of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 6.6 6 says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with the their instructor, thereby the instructors getting it back again. So in this case, you could be sowing money. Okay, keep reading. He then says in the next passage, But don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Mocked. A man will reap what he sows, and whoever sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I could take a whole sermon to explain this short passage, but and I will do actually when I get to Galatians, but to put this very, very simply and quickly, to sow to please the flesh is talking about using money for those earthly pleasures. And he's reminding us that what you're going to reap from sowing into those earthly things is simply decay. All the stuff you're going to buy is going to corrode or go bad. But if you use your money to sow in things of the Lord, then of course you're going to reap spiritually. You're going to see a benefit. You're going to see an increase. And you're also, in addition, not only going to see that, but you're going to reap the reward of an everlasting life. I remember hearing the story of a man a few years ago who pledged to give a certain percentage of his income. But when he started, uh, the amount that he needed to give to meet that pledge was just a couple of pounds a week. However, the man enjoyed great success in life and the amount of the percentage, of course, the money increased as his earnings increased. So he soon found himself having to give 10, 20, 50, 100, 500. And then one day it reached, he realized a thousand pounds a week and at that point he contacted his pastor and says come to me I need to discuss with with you and the pastor said was surprised by what he said the man said is there some way I can be re re legitimately released from the promise I made the Lord many years ago how could and if there is how can I be released from this commitment and the pastor replied correctly I believe he said I'm afraid you cannot be released from the commitment the promise that you made but then the pastor added there is something that we could do we could ask God to shrink your income so that you only need to give a couple of pounds again I believe this principle that we're talking about here the as I've called the law of the universe really the principle of sowing and reaping is applied to all types of giving and that and that's fascinating it means that if you sow spiritually you reap materially. If you sow spiritually, you reap spiritually. If you sow materially, you reap spiritually also. And if you sow materially, you will, in fact, reap materially. All of those things, not just one of those things. And that, my friends, is the law of sowing and reaping, the law of harvest. It's incredible. And by the way, this law, this principle, I believe, applies to all areas of our life on both the positive and the negative side of the coin. A selfish life will lead to a lonely end. A violent life will often lead to a violent end. But the law of sowing and reaping applies to righteousness, and for that we can give thankful. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow to yourself righteousness and reap mercy. So you can sow sin and you can sow light righteousness. That's the choice you can make. 
And whichever choice you make, then you're still going to find that the law of sowing and reaping applies in your life. Now, I want to conclude by summarizing everything I've said. Within, and by doing that, I want to do it by putting together three straightforward principles for us. Principle number one is you reap what you sow. Luke 6.38, that's where we are today, that's what it says. By the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Principle number two, you reap more than you sow. Whether that's good or bad, that's the principle. You sow seed and what happens? You get more back, don't you? The Bible teaches that there is always an increase whatever seed you sow. Principle number one, you reap what you sow. Principle number two, you reap more than you sow. But there's principle number three, which is you reap after you sow. You have to wait. There's always a lapse of time between reaping, between sowing and reaping. There's a song that says, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. We continually go out into this world, struggling with the world, perhaps weeping, bearing the, the, that time frame, waiting for the seed we have sown. Uh, but but be, be assured, friends, it will come back later to us with rejoices, bringing his sheaths in for him, as that other great harvest song says. Now, in the situation that was talked about in Hosea, he was talking about the fact that the Jews were living in captivity in Babylon, but projecting that they would return to Jerusalem in great joy. Currently in sorrow, joy awaits. So there may be shedding of tears now, but rest assured that when you're sowing the seed of the word and the life of Christ, that God is going to restore those years for us and we're going to reap great joy. And I will end the passage today by saying that those who live sacrificially in this life at this time for the sake of the gospel, you may be enduring hardship, but what is that compared to the return of the harvest, for the return of the investment that you're going to have? The joy of seeing souls saved and of one day being before the Lord, worshipping the Lamb forever and forever. So in conclusion, you can either sow weeds, friends, or you can sow seed. And either way, you will gain the harvest. But you cannot sow weeds and accept to reap wheat. So friends, sow the word of God into your lives and into the lives of others around you. And we leave it there for today. Okay, friends, thanks for joining me. Why not take a look at where the podcast's hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. There you'll find links to all the places we exist. The YouTube channel, which is becoming the archive of all the episodes, but places like the social networks, LinkedIn, and even Patreon, where you can join that community of people who are enabling this teaching and these resources to be free, freely available all over the internet. You'll also find that's a place where you can reach out and connect with me personally and also support the ministry if you want. And I do put the occasional bonus episodes 
uh, on there things that I'm doing as side projects to the main thing and the main thing will always be the Bible Project Daily Podcast so with that all said I'm thankful that you've joined with me today I do hope I'll see you back here again very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast bye bye for now